Shalom, shalom. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, world changers. Tonight is a very special night. We have Mr. Jackson Snyder with us tonight. And so he's waiting in the back room here. In just a moment, I'll pull him up. But just to give him a little bit of an introduction, the first time I actually saw uh, or heard his uh, content was actually through Onia's channel. And uh, and then I went to his own channel on YouTube. And um, let me just let me just read a little bit from his about page on YouTube. Uh, Jackson's according to his about page, it says that Jackson Jackson Snyder is a scholar, composer, author, podcaster, and pastoral minister. Um, he's, he says on his YouTube channel, if you are interested in biblical difficulties or obscurities, current events or unorthodox music, you have come to the right place. So that gives you just a little bit of a, of a uh, I guess you would say, smell the, smell the aroma of the coffee, a little bit of an idea of who Dr. Snyder is. So welcome, welcome. Uh, thank you very much for bringing me out of obscurity <laughs> into your life. And I'm, I'm really blessed to be here, and I mean it out of obscurity. Uh, it's been a difficult few weeks. I've been moving. Things are changing a lot. But I think that when change comes, that is from Yahweh and that we need to move with it. So, all right. Um, all right. I wanted to start out by telling you that what I'm going to talk about is my opinion based on the references that I can find on the Internet primarily. So my interest has been in Paul's life outside of his letters. We get an impression of Paul from his letters that he is nearly invulnerable and that he didn't have a life outside of his letters except to be beaten and put in jail. But if you look around closely, you can find hints about his life. And I want to start out by talking about his family and maybe sharing a screen here to show you a little bit of his family line. <clears throat> My understanding is that his name, full name, is Solos, Tadius, Alexander, Bar Antipatris, Herod. Herod. I believe that Paul was a Herodian. I think there is a lot of evidence for that, including in Josephus that talks about him a couple of times. And what I'm doing here is going to be based on history, tradition, rumor, and speculation. Solos, Tadius, Alexander, Bar Antipatris, Herod was born in Giscala, or Gish of northern Galilee, sometime around 4 or 5 A.D., and that's according to Jerome, the translator of the Vulgate in the 5th century. He tells us that the historians are wrong about Paul. And though he says he is from Tarsus, he was actually born in Giscala, which is a kind of a fa uh, famous city, even in our time, uh, being the home of John of Giscala, one of the revolt leaders in the 70 AD revolt of Israel against Rome. On the Herodian family part of it, I look to Romans 16.10 and 11, and there, among 
many other hints and clues. He says, greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Aristobulus was married to Salome. Salome was the young dancer that danced for the head of John the Baptist. Aristobulus is Aristobulus V of Herodian. And after that, Paul says, greet my kinsman Herodian. Herodian means littlest Herod. And Herodian was the Herod V, who was the offspring of Aristobulus Herod, who married Salome, the daughter of Herodias. This family gets awfully confusing unless you get a chance to really go through it. And I hope that you will order up these notes so you can take a look for yourself. Saul, Paul, was the son of Herod Antipater IV. And he was the son of Herod Salome, Herod the Great's sister. And his mother was Herod Cypros II, who was the daughter of Herod the Great. Paul's parents, excuse me, were second-line Herods. They were first cousins. The Herods, you know, liked to marry their cousins and their nieces. Paul had a brother, Costabar. He was named after his grandfather, the husband for a time of uh, Herod Salome. And he had a sister, Herod Cypros III, Bot Antipater. Uh, this is going to be hard for you to understand or remember these things, but I'll show you in a minute a family line uh, graphic. Cypros III, his sister, was married to Alexis Helchius, Ben Alexis. And if that sounds familiar to you, that's because he was the temple treasurer. We're talking about, in that day, the enormously rich people of the Herods, not only the ones at the top, but all the way through. And being the temple treasurer, Paul's sister had a lot of money. I think you probably remember that Paul had a nephew spoken of in Acts 23. I think the nephew went into the Roman legion and told them that they thought that he thought his uncle was going to be executed there if somebody didn't come out and help. So we have that nephew is the oldest one of Cypros and Helchius, the temple treasurer. His name is well known in Josephus, Julius Archelaus Alexis. And if you want to look specifically, you can see that in Acts 23, 16. And in Josephus' war, in fact, Julius, when he grew a little older, was the first to actually buy the first copy of Josephus' War of the Jews. And Josephus dedicates his vita, or his vita, his autobiography. Josephus dedicated his autobiography to Julius Archelaus, 
Alexis. He had a, a, another um, nephew who likewise had a Herodian name, Antipas ben Alexis Halkius. He was, like his brother, a treasure, but this Halkius was the public treasure of Jerusalem. And he had a niece, Cypros IV. They like to keep that name in the family line. She's already the fourth one, the niece of Paul and also the name of his sister. She was Cypros IV Bat Alexis Helchius. Now, all these Herodians came through Herod the Great and his sister Salome. Do you know a little about that history? It would be really interesting if you got into a little bit of the Herodian history of Israel and Rome to learn a little bit about the foes, I would say the foes of um, the Jewish Christian faith at that time, because we have uh, several of them mentioned in the New Testament, including Herod Antipas, which was Paul's cousin, and Herod Philip is in there, who died pretty young, but uh, as I'll tell you later, he figures into this history a little bit too. So I'm going to try screen share here. I wonder what was going on with my camera. I think it was a little demon that got in there. I <laughs> really been. did. Could have been. Yeah, okay. Let me see if I can get a screen share. Perhaps this will explain a little better. This is the close family of Costabar, Ben, Antipater that is the oldest in Paul's family, his brother, Costabar. He's easy to find in Josephus. He and Solace are really worth looking up. There are at least two episodes, which I'll tell you about as soon as I uh, try to explain this family tree. So we're, here we have uh, Salome, and here we have Herod the Great, brother and sister, Salome was married for quite some time to Costabarus. We don't know much about him, but he figured as a minor official in Herod the Great's uh, community of leaders. And he was a, an Idumean. He was an Arab. Herod the Great was very much against her marrying him, but she married him anyway for a while. So here we have the union of these two go down to Bernike, Bernike, Bat Costabarus, and Antipater, Ben Costabarus. It's Antipater that we're looking at right now because he married his cousin, Cypros, Bat Herod. You can see how the tree moves right this way and that they're first cousins. Over here is Herod Philip. We'll maybe get to him later. I don't know. This is Paul's father. This is Paul's mother. In the next line, here we have Costabar, who is the older brother of Saul. 
Here's actually Saul Paul, Saulos Ben Antipater. By the way, that means daddy lover. Here we have another, uh, is that a brother? Brother Alexis Helkius Ben Alexis, temple treasurer, who married Cypros Ben Antipater. That is Paul's sister. So we have the two brothers, the sister, and her marriage to Helkius. They had children. Archelaus, you can see that this is a very Herodian name. And Julius Ben Alexis Helkius, who was the one I just talked about that has figured into Josephus' history, as well as Josephus dedicating his Wita, his life story, to. And the first one that ever bought a copy of his stuff. This is an, another brother who was a temple treasurer, of the, I should say the treasurer of the public purse, Antipas. And here is a niece, Cypros, Bat, Alexis, Helkius. What long names. So we see here being Paul. Here's his nephew, Archelaus. And if you look at the full rendition of Paul's family tree, or actually Herod, the Herod family. It's huge, long, and wide. And there are many, many interconnected people there. And you'll see right off the bat, many times, the Herods married nieces or married cousins. And this is one of the things that, as you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls railed about niece marriage. And I believe there's a passage maybe in Deuteronomy that talks about one cannot marry the niece, but they say that the Dead Sea Scroll uh, caveat against doing that was a direct insult to the Herod family that did that. Okay, let me ask if there's a question at this point. And the camera's off again. Well, shoot. Yeah, I see you're frozen up there. Um, let me see here if we, okay, so, um, we have keeping watch 95. Okay. Uh, is Saul King Herod's grandson? Yes, he is. Well, that's his granduncle. His grandmother is Salome, Herod's sister. So Herod being the sister of Salome, that would make him an uncle. And it's hard to believe for me that Saul is so poor. It seems to me that his family, of course, was the richest family at that time. They all were very, very, uh, very, very rich from primarily taxes and different types of bribes. They had a lot of money. And at the time that Paul, uh, I'm wondering if there's something I can do about this camera, if it's even necessary. 
But brother and sister, I don't know. Maybe we need to get an exorcist in here. <laughs> it seems to be hooked up correctly. If uh, I hate to, I'd hate, I hate to ask you to do a restart. If that would, I'm not sure if that would help or not. Um, I can do that if you can wait on me. Yeah, yeah, sure. I can, I can wait on you. Um, okay. Yep. Talk about it, and I'll be right back. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, isn't this very interesting, guys? I mean, uh, I mean, it's quite shocking that uh, you know Dr. Snyder has uh, all of this information, like uh, Paul's full name, like he's got all these uh, middle names, if you want to call it middle names. Um, now, this is one thing I was thinking about while while he was talking, and I want to ask him about this when he gets back, and that is. Uh, those of you who know, uh, you know, what I talk about a lot, and that is about how Paul seemed like he had a lot of money, especially in Acts chapter 21, when he was asked to, um, you know, take the vow, take the Nazarite vow. And that in and of itself is very expensive. And then not only that, but to, but to uh, sponsor four other men. So that's like, to me, it's like he had to have had a lot of money. To do what he uh, to do what he was uh, doing there in Acts chapter twenty one. I'll see when when uh, Doctor Snyder gets back here. I'll just kind of run that by him and see what he thinks about that. But that's how I understand Acts chapter twenty one is that uh, it seems like uh, Paul had a lot of money to had a lot of money kicking around. Maybe that's the reason why too. They say okay, sponsor four others. You know, it's like hey, we know this guy's got is this guy's got a lot of dough, so. Maybe he can pay for four other four other guys. Um, Christina says, uh, Mark eight fifteen. Uh, he cautioned them, saying, "Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod." He is double trouble. That's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, when John, when in doubt, reboot. Yeah, reboot, reboot that demon right out of there. Um, yeah, so Christina says, and Lydia sold purple fabric. Uh, Paul and his followers were so rich. Very good point. Very good point. Purple fabric would have been something that is not very... Uh, I wouldn't think that would be a common thing back in those days. That would be like royalty. KMJJ says, good evening and shalom, all blessings. Welcome. Shalom to you. Blessings, blessings. Isn't that, uh, it's just amazing. I'll let you guys know as soon as uh, Dr. Snyder comes back here. Uh, he's not back yet, but uh, it's just absolutely amazing. I think uh, what uh, what he has to share here about this Um <laughs> Jeff says such great software we run these days. LOL. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lord willing, uh, sometime in the near future, I think in the next, it looks like it could be in, in the next couple months, maybe even perhaps before that, uh, I'm going to have a better internet connection here as well. Um, and so that will make the, 
the live streams. That will that will certainly take it up a notch. So praise God for that. Um, so John, John says, if, if you're wondering where I'm getting these comments from, uh, Dr. Snyder has also uh, linked his channel uh, with this with this live stream as well. So I'm pulling some of these off of his channel. Uh, so John says, Paul was actually rejected by the Ebionites, James, Yeshua's brother, for eating of flesh, meat, and teaching that it was okay to eat meat. That's a, that's a very good point as well. You think about how you think about how uh, Paul spoke about how it's okay to eat, especially meat sacrificed to idols or food sacrificed to idols. It's the way he puts it. I mean, you, I'm sure there can be some people arguing different points of view, but uh, generally speaking, most people would, would read that and say, hey, Paul's saying it's okay. Just 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 be careful around the people that have weaker faith. The people, the people that think that it's bad, okay? Think that it's not okay to do this. Okay. People who think that it's a sin, just just kind of, you know, don't let them see you. Whereas Yeshua, on the other hand, uh, Revelation chapters two and three, um, he really uh, has he has absolutely no tolerance for people uh, who eat meat sacrificed to idols. Uh, absolutely no tolerance for that whatsoever. Um, very good point there, John. So Jackson, I'm not sure if you're if you he's not here yet. He's not in the quote unquote back room here yet. Uh, so I'm not sure if he can hear or if he's if he's watching. Um, so John Smith says hi, Jackson. This is the Walking Man, John Salam. Okay. All right, guys. And you know what, too? Uh, let me just say this as well, wait, waiting for uh, Jackson to come back. Um, I've said this before, and I know this, this is kind of, this is a little bit controversial, and, and that is that um, uh, Paul seems to be, uh, I can't think, the, for lack of a better way of putting it, he seems to be, weird <laughs> weird because of the fact that he seems to contradict himself so much like romans where it says you know it's not the hearers of the law that are justified but the doers of the law so it sounds like yeah the doers of the law are justified and then he says something sounds like completely different it, you see this over and over and over again romans chapter six is like yeah you know we're uh you know we're dead to sin how can we sin anymore and all this kind of thing and then romans chapter seven it sounds like he's on the other side uh, Romans chapter eight. Then he goes back again. Um, Galatians chapter three. He he says that God said uh, to Abraham and to your seed, not to not to uh, he. God didn't say to your seeds. Therefore, he means to one person and not to many. And then later on in that very same chapter, Paul speaks to the church in Galatia. In Galatia, and says, "You are the seed of Abraham," as if well. Paul, according to your own logic, uh, how can you say seed? It sh shouldn't you shouldn't have you shouldn't uh, you have said seeds because you're talking to more than one person? So it seems like Paul is. I mean, definitely he's uh, 
he's not, I wouldn't say he's a stupid individual at all. I wouldn't say he's stupid. I would say he's, he's, uh, he's quite intelligent, but he's just not like, he's not normal. <laughs> if you know what I mean? Could that be because of, I'm just, this is just a question. Could that be because he is a descendant of very close relatives? Okay. His, his father and his mother were very close relatives. Perhaps that's why he's a little bit, well, again, for lack of a better word, different than other people, um, in, especially in the way how he writes. And it, you think about it, in all of the authors of the entire Bible, all of the authors that we have, Paul is the only one that is very controversial. And I see we have we, we have Dr. Snyder back. Welcome. I hope that demon is booted out of there. I cast it out to the name of Yahshua Hamashiach. <laughs> right. I don't really know what's going on here, but that failed. And then a couple other things here failed. And this is a new computer. So it's got to be demonic. Uh, I don't think that the devil wants you and I on here together, Christopher. <laughs> All right. Well, we're uh, here. Praise God. Yeah. We're here. We're here. Amen. Yeah. So um, did you hear any of, the, any of the things that we were talking about here? No. Nothing. Okay. Um, now, uh, I, let me just go through the comments here first. And sure. I, I, I've got a couple little comments, not so much, um, just some, again, speculation. Um, I just want to hear your input on it, Dr. Snyder. Um, so let me see, where, we, where do we go here? Um Okay, so Christina, this is one. Uh, she says, Lydia sold purple fabric. Paul and his f followers were so rich. What do you think about that? Well, what is there to say? We don't know much about Lydia, except that she was a necromancer or an enchantress of some type. But um, purple cloth was quite expensive because of where the dye came from certain snail that was not regularly found in that area had to be shipped in. Uh, it's a muscus something. I can't remember anymore what the name of it was, but that's why it was expensive because of the dye. And what's he doing there? I don't know. Maybe he was buying a gift for Herod Antipas. I, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I, it, sound, it seems like uh, yeah, Paul and his crew, Lydia, were uh, definitely not your poor men or poor people, I should mm -hmm. say. Um, and along that lines, I, if I can just interject this as well. Sure. Now, I um, Acts chapter twenty one. Like I, I don't, I don't know uh, what you like where you stand on this, um, uh, Doctor Snyder. But uh, Acts chapter twenty one, the way I read it is that. Uh, Paul took the Nazarite vow and he sponsored four other men to do so. Now, it's my understanding that the Nazarite vow is very, very expensive, you know, just to yeah. do it for yourself, let alone to do it for four, four others. So what you're saying really kind of, it seems like it, it really rings true with the scriptures that and it, he's, he, he wasn't a, uh, he wasn't a common man, put it that way. I don't think so. Uh, there is something that I can add to that <clears throat> in Acts 21. Let's see. When he came back to Jerusalem, the main reason he came back was 
to bring the offering in. But the greatest speculation of scholars says that James and the James gang wouldn't accept his offering. They gave him some things to prove himself, and that was one of them, and that that was a setup. It says that the elders of the assembly told him to do these things, and he did it. And uh, one place you think that they're they're Greeks, and the other place, no, they're not Greeks, they're Jews. But it was a life and death, it was a death sentence if you took a Greek into there that hadn't gone through the uh, ritual of conversion to that style of Judaism, the status quo Judaism of the day. And what I'm thinking is that the way it was set up, it's like, let's get rid of this guy. Let's send him on in here. Let the rest of them do their duty on him. And it was only by maybe the providence of Elohim that he was able to get out of there with without being killed. Uh, somebody mentioned today earlier on, excuse me, <clears throat> Did did Paul speak Hebrew? And it says at that time that he went before them and he spoke in Hebrew, I believe. Then he spoke in Greek to the Romans. Uh, I don't think that Paul was facile, that he could easily speak Hebrew or Aramaic, because being brought up in Tarsus, an entirely Greek city, his education would have all been in Greek. The only people in Tarsus that might have spoken Aramaic or Hebrew, for that matter, I understand at that time, even the Jews couldn't speak it anymore, but they would have been people that had imported themselves in there from other places <clears throat> that were under scrutiny for one reason or the other. And um, I can't remember where that question came from, but I don't think Paul was fluent in Aramaic, and he certainly didn't write in Aramaic because look who his audience is. Thessalonica, Corinth, Philippi, these places didn't speak Aramaic. He was writing for them. He directed his letters to them. And when you read him in the Greek, it's outstanding. It's like reading theological, even scientific treatises. And that's one of the reasons I have <clears throat> some trouble with the English versions of the New Testament, because his language is so dumbed down in English from the Greek. But if he would have spoken Greek when he was gotten out of the temple by the Romans, they would have understood everything he said because the Romans at that time, they were Greekophiles. They love the Greek language. They love Greek learning. They love Greek food. They all grew up learning Greek as well as Latin. Latin was almost a secondary language to those people, even in the army. So the army of Rome was conscripts from many different lands, many different languages. And the one thing that held everybody in this empire together 
was the Greek language. Same reason why we see the New Testament being distributed and broadcasted in Greek. That's how the world would know. They didn't speak Aramaic except down in Syria. And there were actually four different versions of Aramaic, and they were all different. So I'm not answering anybody's question here, but it was somebody's question earlier on today. Ah, yeah, I had a, a phone call about whether Paul spoke Aramaic and he, or Hebrew or not. But considering that he came down to Jerusalem, and I'll tell you why in a minute, from Tarsus, he would have had to learn some. Because I believe that he was, he came down to Jerusalem because he wanted to become a high priest in the same way that Caiaphas, the ruling high priest, had. Caiaphas became a high priest by marrying the high priest's daughter. And my understanding is that Paul came to make his fortune to Jerusalem. Am I going on too long here? No, no, no. Please okay. go ahead. Coming down to Jerusalem, he had an intention to court Caiaphas's daughter. And recently, actually, her ossuary, her bone box was found outside of Jerusalem in the Caiapha uh, tomb. He came down to marry her and hopefully become a high priest because he was a man of great learning. And even the high priests in the temple, they didn't speak Aramaic, especially if you're from Galilee. Only one third of the people in Galilee, according to scholars today, spoke Aramaic. See, the Greeks had been in charge of that place for 300 years. And they not only forced their customs uh, from Alexander the Great on, forced their customs on the people of Israel and Judah, but their language was forced on them too. So why in the New Testament you read about Hellenists all the time. And you can see that even Yahshua's disciples, some of them have Greek names. Petros, Philippos, Andras, and a few more Greek names. <clears throat> when uh, I'm wandering off here, Philip comes to Yahshua and he says, look, these Hellenists over here want to talk to you. What does Yahshua do? <clears throat> he blows them off. He's not talking to them because at that time, until the next generation of believers, those were his enemies. They were Herodians. They followed Herod the Great, who you better believe spoke Greek and was well-educated. All the Herods were educated in Rome, probably including Paul's father. In fact, I read one commentary that said, <clears throat> Paul's father was the only Herod that didn't do anything except enjoy the wealth of the family. That's interesting. Going back to, uh, to Herod and Paul, you might look, uh, Robert Eisenman has a very good essay online called Paul as Herodian. Just put it in the search engine, it'll come up. And there, Eisenman, I don't know if, if you're familiar with my friend, 
but um, he has an inside track on these things. And really, if I was to say I had a mentor, it would probably be him. And a, a great article giving lots more reasons why it's more than speculation to say that Paul was a Herodian. But I believe, you know, going back here, I believe that Paul was set up, that he was rejected by the elders of the assembly of Yahweh in Jerusalem. They were still scared of him. They gave him permission to go into Europe even just to get him out of there. Uh, and this is why you see some conflict between Pauline teachings and the teachings of, say, James the Just from the little letter of James. Very, in fact, there's a dialogue going on there between Paul and James. Uh, line up the second chapter of James and the third chapter of Galatians, and you'll see line by line. It's almost a, a dialogue. It's a response. So, okay, I've blown off for a while now. What else I, do you have? You know, I, I'd like to just kind of, uh, you were saying that you don't think that Paul spoke Hebrew like all that fluently. Is that, is no, that right? No, I don't think so. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> so, um, you know, that goes along with the lines of what, like I've heard, um, you know, some Jewish people would say that, uh, there is evidence of that as well in the uh, in his letters, especially you mentioned uh, Galatians chapter three, and actually, um, I just mentioned that when you were off when you were, when you mm -hmm. when you rebooted there, uh, when Paul said uh, that God didn't say to seeds but to seed, meaning one instead of many. Now I, I have heard the argument that uh, Paul must not have known Hebrew that well because. If he did, he would know that there is no such thing as, quote unquote, seeds when referring to de descendants. It's always oh. it's always seed. Yeah. The plural. <clears throat> yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. So seed in the Hebrew uh, was Zera, um, which is it's singular, but it's a collective plural. Right. Yeah. Uh, similar to uh, the word sheep. It, it can mean one, but it can mean many. Right. And so some people argue that Paul must not have known Hebrew very well in order for him to say what he said in Hebrews chapter or Galatians chapter three, because there's no such thing as Zeraim when, you know, when it comes to descendants. You're, That's you're, a good I'm, point. Yes. I've not, never heard that before, but you're right. Look, Paul uses some Aramaicized language here and there. But uh, not much. And I don't recall any Hebrew being even quoted in any of Paul. But his, his Greek is, and I studied Greek for several years, and I'd still translate it. It is, it's heavenly. <laughs> it's heavenly Greek. You know this guy spoke this and wrote this all his life. And uh, Christina, she has a really good comment there, by the way. Which one are you looking at? Uh, uh, Paul wouldn't be a Roman citizen if he weren't a Herodian. That's why the Roman commander gets so scared after Paul said, but I, 
Let's see. I The Tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum, Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. Yes, well, I would say it wouldn't take much more than being in the line of Herod the Great or his sister to get your citizenship for him. The centurion, most of the centurions were from Germany because they were so brutal. They made them centurions. So the centurion has to pay a lot and he can't get out of the army for 16 years anyway. So he would be in awe of a Roman citizen. If somebody declared themselves a Roman citizen, then he would be very sensitive to the need to be slow in judgment there. That's a good point. Okay, I'm done. Okay. okay. Is, is there anything else concerning that first part that I did, a family of Paul? Um, one other thing I, I was thinking about, and I, I mentioned this when you were off uh, there for a few minutes. Yeah, I want to hear your opinion. Yeah, so like reading, like I, 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 you know, on my YouTube channel, I went, I actually read and commented on every word of Paul's letters, right from it, everything. I actually, I read the whole entire New Testament. Um, and it, it, you know, he can get quite confusing, some of the some of the wording that he uses, um, mm -hmm. you know, like in Romans, he says it's not the hearers of the law, but the doers of the law that are justified. And then it sounds like he says that the that you're not justified by the law. <laughs> and then in Galatians, where again the whole thing about seeds, you know, he said again, he said that God didn't say to seeds, but to seed, meaning one, not to many. And then later on in that very same chapter. He's speaking to the people, to the church of Galatia, and he said, you are the seed of Abraham. He didn't say seeds. So it's like, hmm, didn't you just say that it should be plural if you're speaking to more than one? Right? So um, just, I mean, reading his, and same with like the whole book of Galatians as a whole, it, most people interpret that to mean that Paul is saying that the Torah is basically, well, for lack of a better way to put it, just done away with it. You know, you don't, you're not justified by the Torah, you know, all this kind of thing. And then in Galatians chapter five, verses 19 to 21, he lays down the law. He is like, if you, you know, all, he lists all these sins. And he says, if you do any of these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the way I understand it, it's like, that is Torah. Mm-hmm. Like that is Torah. So it, it seems like he says one thing and then, and then it seems like he contradicts himself. I think uh, I know the reason for that. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. It's yeah, very yeah. contradictory. I, I, want you, I want you to, I want you to, to um, it just, it seems like Paul is the way he thinks. So the way he, He's not your average. He doesn't. Uh, mm -hmm. He seems to be kind of. Uh, what should I say? It's it, you know eccentric. Like uh, if I can use the word weird. Uh, comparing him with all the rest of the uh, authors that are in the Bible. You know, most of everybody else is quite clear, concise, not so you know, not so controversial. But Paul is different. 
Um, and, you know, some people would say that Paul is, um, like some people believe that Paul actually had some kind of mental difficulties. He was um, a sociopath. Okay, so let's say going by. <laughs> well, that's what today's um, psychiatric makeup of him shows him to be. I, I shouldn't have said psychopath. I should have said sociopath. Um, there's a great book out. I think it's called the Wisdom of the Wisdom of uh, Psychopath or something like that. I've got it here. I just don't can't remember. But he does a, a psychiatrist does a complete workup on Paul. It's very fair, and compares what Paul has said against the forty question test to show whether a person is a sociopath or not. And and Paul comes through with with um, many traits of a sociopath, but of course sometimes. In his position, you'd almost need to be a sociopath in order to get done what he did. And let me tell you what I think about the uh, his um, kind of dichotomy of law and grace. He wanted to go into Europe. That was his intention. So he was already in Galicia. Nobody knows exactly where that is, but it was probably in the um, northeast province of Anatolia, that is Turkey, by Bulgaria or someplace. But it could have been two or three other places. We don't know where he was. But he writes, and where does he write from when he writes the Galatians? From, uh, do you remember? I, oh, I can't I, remember. I could. But look, to go into Europe proper with what he had, he knew a few things that were very important for his success. Number one was that Jews had a special dispensation in the empire. Christians, Jewish Christians, or as they were called at the time, Nazarenes, they did not. Only Orthodox Jews did. Paul was considered uh, a cult leader if he was to go and proselytize in Europe proper because they had certain laws. One of those laws was the Lex Cornelius. What this law, this law made it gave the death sentence to anybody that would mutilate their own gen I'm going to say Gentiles, mutilate their Gentiles, mutilate their genitals, or if you mutilate your own genitals or anybody, gen genitals or any, see, I'm trying to avoid that word. It's just a dirty word. Uh, just say Gentiles. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, a death sentence. So look, if that's the case, circumcision was also considered mutilation of the genitals. And he had to get rid of that out of the Torah, or he wouldn't last long at all going up into Europe proper. Um, 
There was another law. It was the Lex Julia that talks about what women can do. You see, he is very open for women in Galatians. But if you go back to those books in, in the back, the pastoral epistles, assuming that he wrote them, which I, uh, that's a big assumption. Um, he talks about women, woman, keep your mouth shut. Woman, you have to wear something on your head. These don't jive at all with what he says in Galatians. But there was this rule, Lex Julia, where a woman couldn't go in and lead any kind of discussion except in those religions that had been approved by the government, and his had not. So here's another one. He has to change his mind in accordance with the law about women. All of a sudden, he's open to them. Women are deaconesses. Women are apostles. And then all of a sudden, women, you need to shut up because of the law. There's two. There's one more law that um, eliminated one more Torah commandment, and I'm not thinking of it right now because I'm a little nervous. But if he was to go up, and evidently he was thinking about going to Rome and, and going up into Europe proper from that letter in Galatians, then he, he had to avoid these doing these things, circumcising, which is the main problem with Galatians. No more circumcision. Uh, women speaking is the other one. And there's one more. By golly, I... Oh, he, since he wasn't since he wasn't considered a Jew by the Roman government, he would be in trouble doing any kind of proselytizing there anyway and open to the death penalty. Now, do you know who Seneca is? You heard of Seneca? I heard of Seneca. Yeah. Tell me. Okay. This is important. Seneca, at the time of Paul's life, was the guardian of Emperor Nero, number one. Seneca, if you remember uh, the Emperor Claudius, Claudius went to Britain and conquered Britain and stole everything that could be gotten out of Britain. And Seneca was right there. He became the richest man in the entire world by hustling the property of the Britons. So the third thing Seneca did and was, was an acclaimed poet and an acclaimed um, philosopher. In fact, Paul quotes Seneca at least a dozen times in his letters. Now there's a letter, letters between Paul and Seneca that the church does not want talk about. And this, these letters, five or six going back and forth, they betray, Seneca is betraying him to Nero and Popeia, his queen, by reading excerpts from Paul's letters to Nero. And it starts out, the letters start out with just how wonderful they thought 
those letters were of Paul. And by the end of the series of letters, Seneca says something like, good luck, I'll try to protect you as best that I can. And then we know from history that Seneca was commanded to commit suicide by Nero. Uh, Seneca is big, still today, read all over the place. So look, this series of letters needs to be studied by people of theology. There it is. There it is. Yeah. I, uh, Closely. The, and try those, to... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, for those of who, who want to look at it yourself, I, what I did was I went to earlychristianwritings.com. I looked up Seneca, and you'll come up with the letters of Paul and Seneca. And um, I just went to the text here. And uh, it takes you to Wesley Center online. Yeah, go Good ahead. Place uh, to be. But you have to look closely and read them with some wisdom to know who Seneca is, who he represents, and Paul. There's another fellow that was Nero's freedman. His name was Epaphroditus. He's mentioned in two different letters. One, uh, Philippians, I think he's mentioned twice, and somewhere else he's called Epaphras. Epaphroditus was Nero's slave, and he was freed by Nero, but kept in Nero's household until Nero died. When Epaphroditus, when they came after Nero, the crowds came to kill him, just like the movie Quo Vadis. You ought to watch that sometime. Quo Vadis, 1951, I think. It's really good about this. Epaphroditus snuck Nero out of the palace and took him to his own mean house into the basement. And there he talked Nero into taking his own life. Epaphroditus, also according to the fiction, had to help Nero push the knife in to his head Fulfilling Revelation chapter 13, head wound. And Epaphroditus went on to serve the next dynasty of emperors, Vespasian, Titus, and Domitian. None of them had much love for the Jews because if you remember, Vespasian and Titus destroyed Israel and Judea. But in the seven years between 66 A.D. and 73, Paul, uh, John talks about this in the Revelation. That's what Revelation is about, those seven years. But not to get into that, Epaphroditus, I believe, who's spoken of also in the midst of Paul's travels as a travel companion. Remember, he said, I left Epaphroditus sick someplace. Might remember that. This is the same guy. And when he gets to the reign of Domitian, the craziest of emperors, this is toward the end of the first century, 
Epaphroditus was executed for being of a foreign superstition. He become a believer. He was probably a, a secret believer the entire time, along with Josephus. He was undoubtedly executed by Domitian, his adaptive brother, and also Clement of the Clementine Recognitions, important text for knowing a little about Paul, which if we have time, I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, it really shows Paul's character. But what I'm saying is Domitian killed a lot of believers, and there are three that are connected to Paul in one way or the other. And I believe that there is evidence that the person who calls whom tradition has called Luke was none other than Epaphroditus, who was a great writer. He was also mentioned by Josephus. Uh, his antiquities was dedicated to Epaphroditus, a good friend, and his ability to write, which we don't have anything left over from him except one thing. That would be Luke Acts. Everybody knows that Luke is a name that doesn't appear as the author's name in Luke and Acts. Nobody knows who that was. Tradition just gave the Gospels a name, somebody's name, and the, the reasons uh, maybe someday we'll go into why they were given these names of four, the four so-called evangelists. But... Um, I believe Epaphroditus, that there's enough evidence left behind, especially in the Acts, to consider that Epaphroditus, Nero's freedman, Paul's friend, the person that went along with him on his trips, that were le was left sick someplace, is the writer of Luke and Acts. That's a whole other story, though. So, um, do you want me to go on, or is yeah, this a I, good time to? Yeah, yeah. I, if I can just, just, uh, yeah. Epaphroditus is is mentioned in Philippians two twenty five and four eighteen. Yeah, please go. Okay, the propiti, propriate, the appropriate. Put a uh, note up here. Clementine Recognitions. If you haven't heard of that, uh, you should. This is a text written in novel form by, purported to be by Clement, Clement of Rome, who was considered like the second pope or something like that. I've... Uh, I retranslated this book and published it. I also have it, the entire book, uh, it's 300 pages, on my YouTube channel. Or you can get this book as an audio book at the, at, sorry, NazareneActs.com. You can download it there. You can buy a copy of it, or I'll send you a free PDF of it if you let me know you want it. 
it needs to be written by read by every believer, especially a, a Torah-centric believer in the world. What it is, it is the memoirs of Clement of Rome, who, through a very strange circumstance, ended up in Israel to see Barnabas. He had heard Barnabas speak in Rome, and he was so uh, inspired by Bar what Barnabas said because Clement here, he wanted to live, he was an orphan. He wanted to live a better life than he saw the heathens around him do. Barnabas promised him, if you come down here, I'll introduce you to James the Just. And so Clement comes down and he's introduced to James as a proselyte. And I suppose James was trying to figure out what to do with Clement. So he sends Clement with Kepha, Peter. He sends Clement with this assignment. Write a book of everything Peter does and everything he says. And Peter at this time, he's making a trip from Jerusalem up to Tripolis. We don't know whether that's in Turkey or the Tripolis that's up north in Lebanon, but it's Tripolis. And in Clement's book, he does this. James tells him to turn a book in every year. And we have this book. There's a second book that uses the same source material called the Clementine Homilies. And there's another book that uses the same source material called the Acts of the Apostles. Okay, so the same material of this book that I translated and read and make available uses the same source material as the Acts of the Apostles in the Scripture. But here's the big difference. The Nazarene Acts, that's what I'm talking about, the recognition, same thing, they follow a very Torah-centric kephah through his trip from Jerusalem to Tripolis. Clement does write down everything that happens. Some of your friends from the New Testament he writes about there, including one section about Paul that is appalling. And what you get from this book including uh, the debates with Simon Magus. You get from this book one of the finest catechisms of what it means to be Torah-centric or a Nazarene or an Ebionite you're ever going to find. This book was rejected by the church. Uh, scholars say that the material in it goes back to about 50 A.D. And it was just too Jewish, just too Jewish for the people there at the uh, Council of Laodicea to put into the Scripture. But I urge anyone to get that book. Best way is to get it in print. Yes, it's expensive. It took me a long time to do, and I just it's priced just above what I spent to do it, yet I'll send you one free in PDF where you can go get the um, 
audiobook free. This is important for every Torah-centric believer, Nazarene, Ebionite, um, non-rabbinic Jew, non-rabbinic Gentile that's trying to follow the Torah and be pleasing to his father. This book has all the answers. I know that several of you here that are on here tonight have read this book. Well, Christina, that has been speculated that Simon Magus and Paul are the same person in the book. I don't know if you read it or not, but I don't see it. I don't see that. Uh, we would see in Paul's writing some of Simon Magus' speeches. But also in the audio version, I put an extra four hours on of the demise of the all the characters in the Nazarene Acts, which isn't in the written book. And it does have Simon, Peter, and Paul before Nero. I don't know whether you remember how Simon died or not, but it's a story of Simon flying before Nero to show his power. And Peter and Paul team up. And Peter does the rebuking, and Paul lays behind the stone praying. And when Simon Magus is flying, Peter rebukes the devil, and down he comes. That was the end of Simon Magus. It's entertaining. These books are entertaining as well as it's very good. But I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't mean to. Well, that's all I do is get off the subject. I just wanted to mention that Paul, back to Paul, has friends, not only relatives, but friends in very high places. Very high places. And you notice in Acts 28, when his trial finally comes up before Nero, the emperor, that he walks away. Nobody dares to go in there and accuse him of anything. He's got some power. And so there's, you can understand also why in Rome, in places where there had been gods worshipped, and the people were extremely sensitive to these gods and were extremely secular at the same time, how he wouldn't want to break those laws because his life was on the line. And you fall out of favor with Nero, and no law, no attorney is going to save you. And Nero killed everybody. And they say that he had Paul's head chopped off. I, I'm not sure of that because there really isn't any strong evidence for that at all. But I think that Paul certainly knew Nero since all his relatives grew up in Rome with that family. All right, I'm going to take a breath. Uh, got a question. You spoke about uh, mm -hmm. how um, that book is really, really shows uh, like Peter's basically the P Peter's teachings uh, being more on the Torah side. Uh, oh yeah. So, um, what do you think about the Kalamentos, the um, the Ethiopian? books of clement 
I think that there are more, um, the recognitions and homilies are in there, but there are more, and I have read those books. It was hard to find. And supposedly there are no English translations for some of them, but I did find one of these testaments of Clement that was, that is in the Ethiopian canon, but was, but supposedly hasn't been translated. I did find a translation of it and that we would call, it is so different from the Nazarene Acts. It really talks a lot about polytheism. It's not the same Clement. It's a fake Clement. And I have that, which I'll send that over to you if you want. I can't really relate what it says, but it kind of reinterprets the Jewish Bible, but like through the mind of a heathen. Honestly, I didn't like it. I uh, retranslated most of it, which I have here. It's one of the many projects that I have that I just get so far and then get tired of it. But um, that's what I think. I think it should be in the canon. I think that the story of Solomon and Sheba that's told in the Kebra Nagasht is true. The Kebra Nagasht is another book. It's not in the Ethiopian canon, but it's the national book of Ethiopia that tells the story of Menelik, the queen, and Solomon. And in a way, it's a pretty sordid, sad story. But um, Menelik, the son, was able to get a hold of some of these texts when he came and visited Jerusalem, where the people tried to make him king rather than Rehoboam, and took him back home and studied him. So this is one of the reasons to think that that story about Solomon and Sheba is true, because the son brought this information home that was codified in uh, codices and still exists today. That's the Kebra Nagasht. And uh, I believe I have copies of that too. Any of this stuff, if you read, if you hear this over again and want to mark these things, I'll send it to whoever writes to me. You can get to me by going to your browser and putting in yahad.me. I have a I have a contact form there, yahad.me. That'll take you to the contact form, and if you've heard of if you've heard anything here that you're interested in, I can dig you up as far as I'm able, the primary sources of word, and send them over. That's what we do at the Yahad. We try to get down to the earliest fragments, strata, of the Nazarenes as per Yahshua HaMashiach. And we've done a lot of work in that area in our worship we have a Shabbat service every week and a lot of different events like this through uh, Zoom. And we've tried very hard to get back to the earliest liturgies, the earliest way of doing the things, just like Yahshua would do. What would Y do? What would Yahshua do? That's what we all want to find out. If you know something and it's authentic, 
please tell me. Write to me at that link, yaha.me, and tell me. There's one other thing that's worth, that I might mention if I can go on for another five minutes. Oh, please do. I'm just rambling, okay? And maybe I could read this to you. Maybe I just read this to you a little out of the Nazarene Acts. Now, before you get too far, um, I know this is off kind of like this is a rabbit trail, but you mentioned Menelik. Do you believe that Menelik got a hold of the Ark Covenant? That's, uh, I just read a book about that, as a matter of fact. It's written by a man that followed that ark in Africa for years and years and wrote about it. His name's Turok something. He's well known, but he thinks he got down to the second ark, that it had to be replaced because the ark finally, over the course of time, fell apart. I, I, I would say if I had to guess one way or the other, I would say, yes, it went to Ethiopia and that Menelik stole it. That's what I would guess. Of course, uh, Maccabees tells us that it's in a hole down there in the Sinai. And I understand that there are lots of guards posted there around that place, as spoken of in Maccabees. To this very day, you can't get in there. But, um, gee, it's really hard to have an opinion of that. What they did seem to find was the second ark. And there were some supernatural things that happened on that. And I think it's called Searching for the Lost Ark of the Covenant. It's an old book, about 10 years old. What do you think? I think that out of all of the stories, um, you know, like also considering what it says in the Maccabees too, I, I, it seems, I think that this, the Ethiopian story does produce the most convincing evidence. Yeah. And in this book, the authors chased this evidence down all through what used to be called Rhodesia and South Africa and in Tanzania and all those areas are not even called that anymore and went down into the tribes and got in a lot of danger. And um, I guess it was about a 10 year quest. In fact, all his compatriots on that quest all died. I think he's still alive. He's still writing books. I wish I could tell you the name of it right now, but my library's not here. I just moved to a room until I can find a new place. So I don't have much here except my computer right now. Do you think I could take a break and go to the restroom and get a glass of water? Yeah, please can, do. Yeah, I can take go some more. Okay. Sh sure, yeah. Take your time. All right. Yeah. All right. So, Thank I mean, it, isn't this just amazing? Um, yeah, like just so interesting. Some of the stuff here that uh, – that uh, Dr. Snyder is talking about. It's amazing. Um, and Christina, I was going to ask him, he already mentioned this. Uh, he already actually addressed it. I was going to ask him about uh, uh, Simon Magnus as well. Um, 
Kalamentos, by the way, um, I asked Dr. Snyder about Kalamentos. Kalamentos, uh, the books or the Ethiopian Clement, uh, they are, um, I first actually heard of the Kalamentos through uh, Onia. And according to Onia, he said the the, uh, Ethiopian Clement um, is quite pro-Torah. Uh, now we now we we see that um, Dr. Snyder is not very um, convinced of of the authenticity of those books, but uh, very interesting as well. Um, yeah, and Dr. Snyder also mentioned about Menelik. Uh, he said that Menelik stole the ark. Uh, the story that I heard is that Menelik actually asked his dad, which would have been King Solomon, for the ark, and he got it that way um so yeah very very interesting let me just see what we have here in the chat while dr snyder is taking a little bit of a break joshua says i recommend the book paul the letter writer by tim haig all right i'm not familiar with that book but thank you brother Joshua says, uh, you can see how easy it is for some people to have an anti-Semitic understanding of doctrine when they don't read Paul in the correct lens. And I do ask you guys uh, to keep your comments. Everybody is pretty pretty good but uh you know um if you disagree with dr snyder please keep your comments as respectful as possible um ascended life family says shabbat shalom shabbat shalom blessings to you Joshua says that Yeshua was very much a Pharisee. And the Tower Times says, uh, no wonder I couldn't see so many of the comments I was watching on Brother Jackson's channel. Uh, they both popped up on the live feed and I was I was listening. All right. Yeah, Joshua says uh, Yeshua going to dinner with Nicodemus points to Yeshua being a Pharisee first century AD uh, was very a very hierarch- hierarchical hierarchy society um pharisees only spoke to other pharisees i have heard that uh yeah i've heard that like on the other hand i mean someone like onia uh, i know he uh makes the case and he believes that yeshua wasn't a scene so 
again, I think we should all have uh, an open mind, come to the table with uh, with all the evidence that we have and compare our evidence and uh, and uh, and see what uh, what looks the best. I mean, what's the most convincing? Christina says, uh, Christopher, do you think Paul's handkerchiefs healing the sick is sort of signs and wonders? Uh, that's been bothering me so much when it is the name of Yeshua that heals. Um, I Very good question, Christina. I do believe it is possible um, for that to happen. I do believe that that that. Uh, really goes along the lines of uh, uh, proving that certain objects can carry or be a conduit of, of spiritual uh, of the spiritual world. So um, so yeah, I do believe I, I, I believe it's possible. Let me just put it that way. Um, and you make a good point earlier as well. I did read your comment, although, uh, yeah, about uh, why didn't Paul heal some of these other ones? Uh, instead, like what if he had uh, the power to heal people with his handkerchiefs? Why didn't he heal some of these people that he writes about in and that he wrote about in his letters? And that's a very good question as well. Um, I mean, we got two different people. Uh, we got quote unquote Luke who wrote. Uh, the book of Acts, and then we got Paul. Um, and again, it depends on what letters. That I know there are uh, almost half of Paul's letters. Uh, a lot of scholars do believe that it, it's not actually Paul that wrote it. Um, so yeah, you would have to take all that, you know, all that into consideration as well. Deborah says, Shalom, Yeshua was about breaking barriers. Yeah, I mean, there's good arguments either way. I understand uh, about Yeshua being a Pharisee. I'm not sure what uh, Dr. Snyder would, would have to say about that, and perhaps we could ask him when he gets back. Um, yeah. Joshua says, Yeshua studied under the school of Hillel. Every Pharisee argued with this one from Shammai's school of thought. Um, Paul also studied, uh, under the, under Hillel's school, uh, makes sense why he would, he would reveal himself to Paul. So Paul would know everything, uh, Yeshua taught. Hey, I, I have done some studies myself, uh, on the whole idea, like, uh, was Yeshua from the school of Shammai or from Hillel? Personally, in my opinion, I, I, I see him being more of the Shammai. Um, I mean, Considering, I, I don't know, um, you know, for two, two, actually more than two reasons, but I mean, two reasons that come to mind right now, just off the top of my head is because 
I mean, he was more he was more strict on marriage. We know that Hillel was way liberal when it comes to marriage. It's like, you know, your wife burns the toast, man. Just you divorce her, get a new one, you know. Um, and Yeshua was not like that. P plus, um, you know, the Shammai was more uh, picky when it comes to his disciples. He wouldn't just allow anybody to be his disciples. And I see that with Yeshua as well. He didn't just open the door. He's handpicked his disciples. And those are two things that make me m lean more towards the Shemai. What do you think, uh, Dr. Um, uh, Snyder? In light of <clears throat> Matthew chapter 23, and later on, we have Jerome, who translates an ancient Nazarene document called the Nazarene Commentaries. There is so much vitriol um, leveled at both of them that I can hardly see that he was of either one. And if you look at the things that he actually put down or we find in the New Testament, you'll see some that are Hillel and some that are Shammai, but I think they're Essene. Essenes, they, they didn't go for either one of them because their calendar was wrong. The calendar directed their feasts. And if you weren't on the calendar with the Zadokite calendar with the rest of the Essenes and Nazarenes, then you weren't even considered to be in the economy of Israel. And uh, this sounds like a little bit of nothing today, but it, it's absolutely true how they felt. You can see in the, also in the Nazarene Acts uh, why you don't talk to some people like that. So I think that he was neither one. I think he came up through the Nazarene movement that was before him and part of the Essene movement. And because of the insurrection of 175 BC, where the temple was taken over by what we today call Sadducees, taken away from the Zadokites, the calendar was changed to the Greek market calendar. And these guys all took themselves out of the entire system of religion, went into Egypt, they went into Syria in the wilderness, they had a, maybe a place in Qumran, maybe in, in Mount Carmel, but by and large, these people, the remainder of the Zadokites, they couldn't get their pay out of Jerusalem. You know, all the uh, poor priests, it says, all the priests of Zadokites, uh, they, they were all starving to death because they couldn't get paid. And that's why we have a lot of the stuff in the Dead Sea Scrolls, because no, they were not a part of that system. Neither Shammai nor Hillel, they consider them enemies, both of them on the wrong calendar. Uh, that sounds a little harsh, it almost nitpicking, but I can't come to any other conclusion through the studies I've done in the scrolls. And I think Onia is right on. He and I have talked about this a lot in the last 10 years or so we've known each other. And uh, I'm glad that we came to the same decision here. And it all boils down to the calendar. So there are lots of people like us that are leaving the Jewish calendar, that are le leaving the uh, lunisolar calendar, 
that are leaving the observation calendar. These are all ancient foreign calendars brought in. When we read Ezekiel chapters 40 through 44, Yahweh through the prophet tells us exactly what calendar we should be using. It went into obscurity. It got lost until the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Then we found it. And I might say, having worked with it probably about the last six years, and it's a perfect calendar. But I'm off the subject. That's another thing. If you want to know more about, you can send me a, a note and we can do that. So I don't think it, either one of them. And the Nazarene commentaries of 100 years later, um, the, the Nazarenes say straight out that both of these methods are traps. They're traps to get you in. And once you're in, you're going to get all the feasts wrong. You're going to get the doctrine hedged. You're going to get the Torah hedged. You're going to have all kinds of, of dumb practices like head coverings and no cheeseburgers and stuff like that. That's just a little bit. I don't think they're either one. I'm sorry, I missed some of that conversation, but. Yeah, Dr. Snyder, do you have like, um, do you have like another, um, some more material you want to go through? Yeah, I want to just go through the couple of chapters of the Nazarene Acts and what, let you what, see how Paul shows up in so the Acts. If you, yeah, if you could do that, and okay. now it's my turn to take a few minutes away, I'll, I'll okay. be right back, okay? Great. Cats away, mice will play. I, I've tried to answer some of these notes that are coming up on the right side, but I don't see any way that I can do it. I went out to YouTube and did a few, but there's a lot of great questions. And I, I'm just so pleased by you folks' knowledge. I know some of you. Some of you I really love, but your knowledge is very great. This is the first time I've heard of this show or been a part of it, and I really appreciate it. I appreciate you all the most. We're getting into the Nazarene Acts, Book 1, Chapter LXVIII. That would be 70, 60, 68. We'll start there, read two chapters. We're introduced to a couple of characters here. These sayings of Gamaliel, chapter before he had a speech here before Caiaphas, did not much please Caiaphas. And holding him in suspicion, as it seemed, he began to insinuate himself cunningly into the discussions. For, smiling at what Gamaliel had said, the chief of the Kohanim asked of Yaakov, the chief Mivaker, that is, James the Just, the head of the movement, that the discourse concerning Mashiach should not be drawn but from the scriptures, that we may know, said he, whether Yahshua be the very Mashiach or no. Then said Yaakov, 
we must first inquire from what scriptures we are especially to derive our discussion. There was no canon at that time. Then he with difficulty at length overcome by reason answered that it must be derived from Torah. And afterwards he made mention also of the Navi'im, the prophets. To him, our Yaakov began to show that whatever things the Navi'im said, they had taken from Torah, and what they had spoke is in accordance with Torah. Am I in the right place here? Yeah. He also made some statements respecting the scrolls of the kings, in what way and when and by whom they were written and how they ought to be used. And when he had discussed most fully concerning Torah and had, by a most clear exposition, brought into light whatever things are in it concerning Mashiach, he showed by most abundant proofs that Yahshua is the Mashiach and that in him are fulfilled all the prophecies that related to his humble coming. For he showed that two comings of him are foretold one in humiliation, which is accomplished, the other in radiance, which is hoped for to be accomplished when he will come to give the Malkuth, the kingdom, to those who believe in him and who observe all things that he has commanded. And when he had plainly taught the people concerning these things, he added to this also, that unless a man be immersed in water, and in Latin, that man can refer to a human being. In the name of Yahshua, as Yahshua taught, he can neither receive remission of sins nor enter into the Malkuth Shamayim. And he declared that this is the prescription of the unbegotten Elohim, to which he also added this. Do not think that we speak of two unbegotten Elohim, or that one is divided into two, or that the same is made male and female. But we speak only of the only begotten Son of Yahweh, not sprung from another source, but born from Yahweh's bosom. And in like manner, we speak of the Ruach. Remember, in those days, the Gnostic heresy went about that there was a, a, a high God, all good, but the God that created the earth and all that's in it was a demon named Yaldabaoth, or the Demiurge. And this heresy Paul fought all the time. So all creation was evil. And the only way you could get into the realm, the Pleroma, the realm of the Most High, was to be executed. So they're kind of going after that. James is going after that doctrine at this point. And remember, too, if some of you that have read this, that James is sitting on the temple steps. Now, these Nazarenes, they did not go into the temple, but they used the outside of the temple facilities to teach like on the steps or Solomon's porch, those places are not in the temple. 
they're outside the temple, they wouldn't want to go into an unholy place as they believed the temple was. But when he had spoken some things also concerning mikvah, baptism, through seven successive days, he persuaded all the people and the Kohen Hagadol, high priests, that they should hasten straight away to receive mikvah. So they're having a talk on baptism here, and James is telling them, look, it's time for you. have been sitting around on these steps for long enough. It's time for you to get baptized, to come in, instead of just be on the outskirts. And when matters were at that point that they should come and be immersed, some one of our enemies entering the Hekel with a few men began to cry out and to say, What mean you, O men of Israel? Why are you so easily hurried on? Why are you led headlong by most miserable men who are deceived by Shimon, a magician? While he was thus speaking and adding more to the same effect, and while Yaakov the Mivaker was refuting him, James the Just, he began to excite the people and raise a tumult so that the people might not be able to hear what was said. Therefore, he began to drive all confusion with shouting and to undo what had been arranged with much labor, that is the baptism, and at the same time to reproach the Kohanim and to enrage them with revilings and abuse, and like a madman, to excite everyone to murder, saying, What do you? Why do you hesitate, O oh, sluggish and inert? Why do we not lay hands upon them and pull all these fellows to pieces? This is Paul speaking. Some might say before his conversion. But in this book, we never see his conversion. And this is really the only place where Paul's talked about. He is fomenting a riot against the Nazarenes. He's calling on the gang with him to fight and kill the Nazarenes in the middle of their baptism service. Now, Josephus, in two different passages, tells us that Saul, Paul, was the ringleader of hooligans that caused riots. Saul and his brother Costabar, that you remember me talking about, they went around and they fomented riots and they got away with it every time because, Josephus says, they were kinfolk of the king. Let me continue. When he had said this, he first, seizing a strong brand from the altar, set the example of smiting. And others also, seeing him, were carried away with like readiness. And then ensued a tumult on either side of the beating and the beaten. Much blood was shed, and there was a confused flight, in the midst of which the enemy attacked Yaakov and threw him headlong from the top of the steps. And supposing him to be dead, he cared not to inflict further violence upon him. Chapter 71. One more and I'm done. But our Havarim, our friends, 
lifted him up. James the Just was beaten by a metal brand from the altar and thrown down the temple steps. This is the brother of Yahshua. For they were both numerous and more powerful than the others. That is to say, the Nazarenes could have taken Paul and his buddies on, I guess when he was Saul, and could have bested them. But from their fear of Yahweh, they rather suffered themselves to be killed by an inferior force than they would kill others. But when the evening came, the Kohanim shut up the Hekel, and we returned to the house of Yaakov and spent the night there in prayer. Then before daylight, we went down to Yariko, Jericho, to the number of 5,000 men. They're getting out of there. They're heading to Jericho. Then after three days, one of the brothers came to us from Gamaliel, whom we mentioned before, bringing to us secret tidings that the enemy had received a commission from Caiaphas, the Kohen Haggadol, Caiaphas the high priest, that he should arrest all who believed in Yeshua and should go to Damashek, Damascus, with his letters, and that they're also employing the help of the unbelievers, he should make havoc among the faithful, and that he was hastening to Damashek chiefly on this account, because he believed that Kephah had fled thither. And about 30 days thereafter, he stopped on his way while passing through Jericho, going to Damashek. So we have the Nazarenes going to Jericho as like a fallback position. And here we have Paul and his bunch going to Damashek, Damascus, Damascus by Jericho. At that time, we were absent, having gone out to the sepulchers of two brothers that were whitened of themselves every year, by which miracle the fury of many against us was restrained, because they saw that our brothers were held in remembrance before Yahweh. So they went out to <clears throat> these sepulchers, these two gravestones, and the gravestones were whitened each year of themselves, and <clears throat> there were scholars have said that well there was no such place as that in israel so this text must be a lie or a novel that is until a couple of years ago robert eisenman found those two sepulchers right on the way to Jericho, and now there is a lot more confidence but if you read through this book you'll find that there are several several of the Acts of Kipha Peter that's found in the Acts of the Apostles that are seen in here as well, but through a different lens. This is a good book. And if I wanted to make money on it, I could, but I'm, I give it free to anybody who asks for it and wants one. All right, so... That's it for me on this subject. Oh, I think that I have this. Do I have this? I have this online. Okay. I'm back. <clears throat> Are you back, Christopher? Enoch? I, I am back. I am back. Okay. So we see in this set that the Paul that these apostles knew of 
Yaakov was beaten by him, left for dead. He interrupted a meeting on baptism. He brought people in that were armed. And they were beaten by him. And they finally, they had to make a retreat. They had to get out of there to their fallback position in Jericho. And here comes Paul with his letters and with his gang. This is exactly what Josephus calls Saulus, a gang leader, an armed gang leader that got away with anything he did because his relationship with the king. So that's that's uh, as much as I can do on that. And I might have one or two more things, and that's all. I'm getting tired. Let's see. Oh, there's still a lot of stuff. But maybe we can do this again. Yeah, sure we can, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm really tired. You know, I have some physical problems. Yeah. Uh, I and I'm going to, I need to preach in the morning, so I've got to, I got to get some rest and do a little work. But I want to say how much I appreciate you for having me on here. And if you have other questions, just go to my contact or Christopher, you have my email address. If you can't find them yourself, all this stuff is online. If you can't find it yourself, then I'll try to help you with that. Sure. Yeah. I appreciate it, brother. I appreciate you coming on, and I know that everybody listening really appreciates uh, pre- appreciates you as well and what you do and Amen. what you share tonight. Yes, um, yeah. So, do you ha- would you have a couple more minutes? I see we have one more question here. Yeah, I can do uh, some questions. Christina says, uh, "But Paul, thanks, thanks God, he didn't re- he didn't baptize anyone but Crispus and Gaius." <laughs> Yeah, that's, well, where was that? In uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, or where is it? They have a dispute about who, no, it was Romans 1. Who's baptizing who? Who's a homosexual and who's not? Who is sleeping with their mother-in-law? Or mother, I'm not sure which. Oh my gosh, what a mess that place was. And you know, 10 years after that, in Corinth, there was a second schism, which you can read about also in the writings of, uh, uh, who was it, who wrote the Nazarene Acts? I just lost it there. Writings of Clement. Clement. There we go. Go to First Clement, which was once in the Bible and should be in there. You'll read about a whole another scandal in the Corinthian church that was going on. The uh, charismatics were taken over. The charismatics were taken over the church. <laughs> oh! <laughs> yeah, it's in there. It's a first letter of Clement to the Corinthians. Okay. Okay, so we have, um, let me see here. 
this, this is a really nice audience. They really talk a lot. Maybe I'll have to use this venue sometime. <laughs> is Paul the false apostle in Revelation 2 too? I think <clears throat> you can get that idea pretty well when you talk, when you read about the letter. And I can't tell you which one right now. I don't have a photographic memory, but those who are Jew say they are Jews but are not in Revelation. I, Persecution. I, I think those are the Pauline people. They say they are Jews, but they're not. They're Gentiles. And I know that that flies in the face of Christian doctrine, that Paul wasn't very much uh, appreciated by the first apostles or the early assembly. I don't call it a church by the early assembly, but I think that it's pretty clear to me that if not Paul, I think it's probably too late for Paul, but certainly the Gentile uh, assembly. Who else would it be who say they are Jews but are not? So Jeff says, this is awesome. I'm going to check out Dr. Jackson Snyder's channel. Yeah, um, Jeff, take up an offering first. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Now that's going to get around. He asked for an offering over there. <laughs> One John says, thank you so much for coming. Shalom. Um, Amen. Yeah, all all the assemblies, all his friends left him. I'm I'm not I don't feel good about that because I think what Paul brought to Judaism is important. It's important, but I don't think that there's been enough evidence laid on, on what Paul himself says in Galatians. You never see much written about his earlier works. And so that's what we're trying to get to. If you all know sources about Paul that I might not know, I'm, I'm still interested in that, as well as the can, calendar situation and uh, early Nazarene life. It's a great thing. All right. How do I leave here? Click the button. Yeah, well, I, once again, uh, and I want everyone here as well to uh, let uh, Dr. Snyder know how much we appreciate him uh, being with us tonight and, uh, and sharing what he shared. Um, give him a great big God bless you in the live chat. So I see we got the pro appropriate saying uh, at Jackson, Jackson Snyder, thank you so much. All right. And so brothers and sisters, thank you. You're a great bunch. Yeah. And, and uh, Dr. Snyder, I would definitely um, would like to see you back, um, you know, you know, in, in, at your earliest convenience and then in well, the I, was timing. Little, I thought the last time I did this with somebody, I got ambushed. I think I told you that. It <laughs> yeah. was not fun. But yeah, this is great. This is great. Yeah, we're not uh we're not so uh we we're not so bad like that. So no. <laughs> I love y'all in the love of Yahweh, and y'all have a great uh Shabbat. 
and have a little peace for a change. Amen. Amen. Well, Christina says, thank you. I really enjoyed this. Okay. Okay, then. Um, yeah. So at that, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Snyder. All right. So for those of you who don't know, tomorrow, uh, this will be Shabbat. This is Saturday. Um, I, I'm, I'm live. Uh, I'll be live on YouTube, uh, Facebook, uh, Twitter, everywhere. I'm live uh, starting at 2 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Eastern. I go live. And uh, what we've been doing the past few weeks is kind of like have an open, just an open, uh, uh, open mic, I guess you would call it, open floor and uh, uh, just inviting anybody in, uh, to come on that uh, if you want to come on, whether you like what, what I have to say or whether you don't like what I have to say, uh, as long as you're not, you know, overly malicious, or if you're not, as long as you're not a troll, you're welcome to come on and talk uh, and, uh, and share your point of view. And those of you who just want to listen, I'm sure tomorrow we're going to be talking about some pretty interesting things. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll have uh, some people on as well. And uh, got a few people from a few different places saying that they want to come on. So we'll see how, how that goes. Okay, so as always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. I'll see you tomorrow.